Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 18, Profit and Loss, teleplay, teleplay by Flip Kobler and Cindy Marcus. I think that's the first time that we have what I'm assuming is a non-dude um, writer that I remember, at least in Season 2, um, and directed by Robert Weimer. This episode aired on March 20th, 1994. This week on Deep Space Nine, Quark is reunited with his lost Cardassian love, but he learns that she is a member of the Cardassian Underground. Today we're joined by our friend of the pod, Anya. Welcome, Anya. Happy to be back. We're glad to have you. Yay. All right. Well, let's just dive in with our kind of introductory thoughts in the episode. And yeah, I guess we'll, we'll we'll start with you, Elise. Take it away. Um, I didn't remember the specific plot of this, but I did remember that this is kind of a beloved episode, and it was fun because I I was kind of like researching the episode after I um I watched it, and I realized that the or I realized I, <laughs> that implies it like I came to it on my own. I um uh, I was reading and I saw that the original teleplay for this episode was a little bit more even like closely um aligned with the movie Casablanca and they originally were going to call the episode Here's Looking at You as a reference to the famous line in the movie but they decided that they didn't want to make it too obvious for legal reasons <laughs> um and that it would be a little bit too much um, so they changed it. And I think um, I think it really works how it's done. Um, I just, I really like this episode a lot. Have you seen I, Casablanca? Yes. I haven't watched it recently, I, um, but I've seen it uh, more than once. I, I love um, that movie. Sorry. Yeah, it's, that's, it's, it's really good. Um, I... It's so funny. I almost rewatched it last week and then I did it and now I wish I had. So I'll probably maybe I'll do that this week. It's on my ch- Oh no, you have to watch I it. I haven't seen. Yeah. It really is yeah. a banger. Like it's one of those yeah. movies where like you're like okay, it can't be that good and then oh my god, it it, it is that good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It like it meets and or blows away. It's your like the Sopranos expecting it's, it's like to the have Sopranos adult. of movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm just fair, uh, enough, I, fair enough, folks. That's because Matt recently watched The Sopranos for the first time and told me that it lived up to the expectations he had, or I don't know, maybe exceeded them. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I just expected to be like, because one of those things that like you've seen it meme so much over the last like 20 years, right? We're like, oh, this is good, but it like it can't be <laughs> as good as everyone says and it was as good yeah. if not better we do need um, to get those Casablanca memes going let's drop those in the <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the episode starts with um well it starts a little bit earlier in, in ops with uh, bringing the the ship in but the plot really gets going um when there's another lunch conversation, a playful flirtation, <laughs> if you will, between Julian and Garrick. And they're discussing Car- Cardassian literature. Is that what they're discussing? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, 
I think they were because they were calling out different authors, which I don't know enough about that to know if there were like people they were trying to like fake reference in our world. Um, but yeah, they were basically discussing being loyal to yourself and your family versus being loyal to the state. And Julian and Garrick have very different views on this. So I found that conversation to be really interesting. And it was also an attempt of Julian still trying to find out if Garrick is a spy or an outcast spy, whatever that even means. Um, although I guess that is kind of what ended up happening. Uh, I do recall that it is a Cardassian novel that they're talking about because I remember thinking like, okay, but if you're giving your brother over to the state and you know how the Cardassian justice system works... <laughs> Babe, what are you doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's so harsh. Um, so it's so funny. Like, I love Garrick in so many ways, but I'm like, Garrick, maybe you're a little too, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Patriotic? Not, not, I mean, it's along those lines, but more like, I guess militant was the word I was looking for. Like, that just seems very, right. a lot, like, uh, protect your family a little bit. Do you believe him, though? Like, I do not believe him for a second. I believe this is one of those lies that Garrick tells himself because he would oh, love to believe it. And he just would not when push comes to shove. Yeah, that's true. And I feel like we do kind of see that by the end of the episode, that he's not as rigid as he implied earlier. So you're, you're probably right. It was uh, kind of interesting, too. I, I when One of the times I watched this episode this week, I was watching it with a friend who was watching it for the first time. And they were really into the flirtatious banter that Julian and Garrick were engaged in. And they looked at me and they were like, they're like really flirting. They're obviously going to end up having sex together, right? And I, I didn't have... The heart to tell them. This is when you know yeah. your friend has good Star Trek. Yeah, was this cowards. is when you the Star Trek in the nineties were. This is cowards. when you know that you have like the right, the correct friends when they see that <laughs> Garrick and Julian are flirting and belong together. <laughs> um, we do get so I I felt like this is funny because this episode not. We do get some confirmation that Garrick is, like, some sort of spy in this episode. And I don't mean, like, the government hires him and has, like, a retainer on him type of way. But, like, he definitely uses or tries to use information he finds to benefit himself. So, I feel like that's spy-ish. I mean, Garrick spy, undeniably. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and what's, what's interesting, too, is there's the added complexity of, like... Garrick's shifting alliances and like you know again obviously seeming like only out for for himself but then Gal Turan or Toran I can't remember is it Turan? Turan sounds more Cardassian it's probably Turan um seems to confirm that Garrick is in fact an exile so like maybe he's not actively working with the government anymore like it's just in and seemingly answering some questions we now have more questions around Garrick and the mystery um, deepens because he knows or the plot he knows begins. how to maintain his charm allure and enigma he he cultivates a presence <laughs> and I admire that <laughs> I love that is so 
Is the Kardashian Information Service like their CIA or something? Like it it felt like I couldn't tell if it was like a government agency or not. My read was it was more like a news service. Like, I don't know. It's like space fascist like rooters or something like that. Like it was more. I got the vibe that before Natima was um, an academic and a political theorist, they were a journalist. Got it. Um, that can be true. Also. Is that. Anya, what about you? What was what was your read on this? I mean, CIS? my initial read of it was that it was a um, like intelligence service, but then it didn't make sense because Natima seemed to be discussing things as though she was like relaying news stories. But does okay? Are they funded by the Cardassian government? Because right. when when Quark is like, well, oh wow, I stole from the Cardassian government. Like my bad. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and they were talking about like access codes and stuff, and that felt very governmentish to me. But it also governmental, could just... not governmentish. I just made that word up. It it could also just be that like <laughs> you cannot get any information to the Cardassian public unless it goes through their government and military. Right. Like I Which can't imagine is... that anything on Cardassia is not censored so heavily. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah, they have like national news service they're it's very propaganda like that's how i envision it as well so i imagine it's more of a like porque no los dos situation (laughs) yes um i would yeah you're probably right little column a little column b um i was really there was a lot of books in this episode or book talk i love that odo is reading a courtroom drama fiction that o'brien lent him like imagine being like an investigator obviously none of us would have that job um for fundamental (laughs) reasons um but like then reading like a book about courtroom drama i just think it's it's so fitting Odo is like your uncle who only watches Law and Order. Yes, he definitely subscribes to Paramount Plus also because he has to like watch um, Blue Bloods and um, NCIS too. <laughs> yes, that's it. I should say that my dad watches both of those shows. He started the NCIS Hawaii recently. Is that the one that I got back? No, in? that is. Or no, um, that's. Yeah. New Orleans. Yes, which I think my. Is it's an NCIS? Yeah, though, it right? is. I think my it's, mom watches yeah, okay. that one. I get confused. I think there's like. Tell me your parents are in their seventies. <laughs> Not in yet, 70s. because I have a couple more. Well, one of them has a couple more months. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so we got a lot of good quark and odo stuff in this episode always here for that and like again just kind of like thinking out loud aside from garrick whose ties to the cardassian government and and central command are are sus to say the least (laughs) is this is probably the first time we've seen any non-military or civilian government related Cardassians on the show, right? I, I believe, right? Because again, in Cardassians, the episode, um, that was the one mm-hmm. with, with Rugal and the 
you know, the all biting, of that stuff. the Rugal's biting, biological <laughs> the dad. biting incident. Yes, Kotan was uh, wasn't part of the military proper, but was still part of the civilian government, which again has a, a tenuous relationship. I definitely get the sense that the military is really running the show um, in Cardassian politics. Right. So, yeah, I couldn't remember any other non governmental Cardassians, but I guess spoiler alert for later in the episode these Cardassians are also still political right. actors. It, did, so. it did feel like the first time that we saw besides between like Garrick and like Goljikot or something like that, this is the first time I remember seeing like different groups within Cardassia being at odds rather than Cardassia being at odds with Bajor or something like that that we've come to expect. But I think that is along the same lines as what you're saying. For this episode, I didn't really think that there was a huge, like, ABC plot type of dynamic, and um, which I think is fine. Um, we, we did get lucky with that the last few uh, weeks. But um, so I think it, this episode kind of makes sense just to kind of go in order of how things play out. So basically we start, there's this Cardassian teacher named Natima Lang and her two students. They arrive on Deep Space Nine after their ship was damaged, although they lie about how the ship was damaged and they were actually, uh, I mean, we don't find that out till later, but they're, you know, the Cardassians were Cardassians against Cardassians. I kept forgetting the names of the two people that were with her. Recklin and Hogue, which like tag yourself. Are you Recklin or Hogue? You know, you gotta which- know. I don't know which one was which. I, I felt bad that I did not give them that much attention. Uh, the girl was Recklin and the guy was okay. Hogue. I think the guy was ready to fight either Odo or Quark, so I'm going to say I'm him. <laughs> I'm going to be the girl because I thought she was cute, even though I didn't remember like which one she was. Mm. You know, it's all about the cuteness. <laughs> <laughs> so quark and natima are past lovers and it's so tropey but before we find that out i love the we haven't seen each other in years and i'm gonna slap you as soon as i see you to make the audience wonder what's going on (laughs) reunion um it works every time i've ever seen it in something because you then you get like a commercial break or the theme break and you're like oh my god how do they know each other what's going on and so i was very into that i love a good slap in an episode of television as long as it's like not like in a i mean it's hard to separate that from like a domestic abuse kind of way but i like i like scenes like this where it was like played for comedy and also to keep you intrigued well and i think ultimately quark is just looking for a good thing (laughs) at the end of the day i think at the end of the day i i doubt quark's ability to handle what he thinks he wants yeah that's not something we've talked about numerous times he wants a strong woman and he does not want to admit it Mm. all the time for sure i um i can definitely see that (laughs) what did you guys think of the the scene where quark goes to garrick's shop because after Garrick and Natima see each other, Natima's like, we have to leave, you know? And their whole conversation is in codes and riddles. Like, when when um, 
Garrick says how detrimental a poor choice of fashion could be. And, and the way he's speaking, you know he means when you have undesirable politics or when you're hanging out with people who have undesirable politics without saying it. And just the way the two of them play with words is just so fun. I love it. Yeah, and, like, I think that that scene worked works really well. And, like, obviously, like, it's pretty clear what the thinly veiled subtext is but at the same time what's not clear is what garrick's intentions are in having this conversation with quark like is he warning quark is he threatening quark i, I personally i can't tell which one and i don't oh, know if garrick knows i thought he was either. warning him at that point i thought it was too early in the episode for him to have been threatening him like i don't think i don't know just because like those people had just arrived so I just want so I thought it was a warning personally. I do, I do think that it was in part a threat, if only because Quark is like, Yeah, I'll buy this dress and Garrick is like, Let me just tear this in two. Let me just show you exactly <laughs> well, how destructive fair. I can be right now. <laughs> and then he just like hands it to him and then he's like, I'm still gonna buy it. Now it's rags. <laughs> or whatever he says. Um I yeah, so maybe you're right. I I, just... I think it's it's still thinly veiled because the the uh, the other sense I was getting from it, and like the third intention I could see, is like she has no fucking subtlety, and I need for her to be subtle if her movement's gonna do anything. Because I don't know, like the vibe I was getting is that, like her students are very outspoken, and none right. of them really are like adhering to the underground part of this like right <laughs> it's like yeah we're, it's we the cardassian overground <laughs> the james bond approach to revolutionary <laughs> hi my name's john james bond and i'm basically a spy but i'm not supposed to tell you that <laughs> yeah <laughs> that may be like my like hopeful reading of it but i can no, see I like, I like, like that. i am a spy and you guys have no subtlety whatsoever. <laughs> He's just like insulting their methods rather than like the point of what they're trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> he should give like um at night Garrick has like closes the shop and has like spy class where he teaches people like tricks of the trade. I can see it. That's like a good fan right? series. Yeah. I know, I love it. <laughs> so eventually the Cardassian warships arrive and they're like um yeah please give us these people um have we ever seen garrick and cisco talking in a scene before this because normally they go through julian i just don't remember and i definitely don't remember having seen garrick in ops before i i think this is garrick's first time in ops for sure right um and I do think it's funny because if this is their first time interacting, the first look that Cisco gives him is just like <laughs> skepticism, doubt. <laughs> like, right. I feel like they're t- probably the type of people that have maybe nodded at each other on the promenade, but not like had a conversation. I mean, I think that it's entirely possible that Cisco's frame of reference for this is like my twink doctor came to me and asked for a <laughs> I knew you were going in that direction. I love it. <laughs> like, this man is why I didn't get a full eight hours. I'm very mad. 
Um, I think it's wild because we never actually find out the crime that these supposed terrorists um, did. Like, we never find out what they're accused of. They're just, like, no crimes are ever discussed. We just know that at, by the end of the episode that Odo doesn't think whatever they did warrants death. And I just think it's so funny that, like, we never, we don't, we don't get to know. We just have to take everyone's word for it that they're probably terrorists. I mean, I thought that the, that was sort of almost a blanket term used for anyone who had any right. sort of, like, like, opposition view. Yeah. No, and I totally, I totally agree with you. It just seems so, uh, and, like, you know, we only have a 45-minute episode, so, like, we probably couldn't get that far in, but it just seems like, I don't know. And they easy... do continue, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, I mean to cut you off, but they, they do continue to distinguish that whatever it was, Natima was not involved, but she is involved yeah, in teaching. Yeah, that's so true. It's very, yeah. very intentionally, I think. Yeah. I I really, really... One of the things of the episode that I really did not like is that when Quirk offers Natima's students, the, the terrorists, the cloaking device, the one that Odo was trying to confiscate earlier, it's only in trade for them to convince Natima to stay on Deep Space Nine. I, I hate this. It just feels really gross. People should obviously be able to make their own life and love decisions. Do not give people ultimatums. Like, it, it's not good. <laughs> I'm sure it was I, a rule of acquisition. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what would how? Oh. Mm, I'm wondering, like, how that rule would be, like, phrased. And it'd probably be, like, rule of acquisition, like, 69 or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's it's interesting too right because like last night i rewatched mm-hmm. young adult f- for the first time in a couple of years and in that the main character is essentially like reading all the signs wrong and with you know a former flame and trying to get them back and like they're the former flame is not interested yep. at all. So having like that in my mind and even based on how Natima has set out her boundaries with Quark, um, Quark's not really respecting those. And for like a lot of it until the phaser incident, um, he like seems to be reading the signs wrong. And then after she accidentally shoots him with the phaser, that's the moment where it's like, oh, yes, I've been keeping it all along. I still love you, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, fine, whatever. I can, like, have some form of cognitive dissonance <laughs> with that right. in this episode. But just, it's like that real gro- kind of tropey where the, like, male character is rewarded for not respecting boundaries and like you say being um really ultimatum e and like ultimately by persisting when persistence isn't wanted or invited they prove that they're right all along so like they're they're like rewarded yeah. for it right because he put in the time which is 
isn't yeah, like until the phaser incident, it very much made me think of um, Mr. Collins's um, proposal to Elizabeth Bennett in Pride and Prejudice because he flat out says that some young girls are known to say no when they really mean yes. And like she has to kind of put him in his place and they do not get together in that. And it's great. But like this went in a different direction, <laughs> obviously. I- I do think it's incredibly interesting as well because part of this episode that strays from the Casablanca plot is sort of how, like, the ge- the male gender and the female gender role work. Because, like, in Casablanca, Rick is like, okay, get out of my shop. Like, do not come near me. I do not want to see you again. I'm very upset that you even walked in here. Um, I mean, he doesn't say that, but, like, that is the vibe for a very long time, and Ilsa is just kind of playing everything close to the chest. Um, And I think part of the issue here is that, like, from a story structural standpoint, we need to give Quark growth, we need his characterization to be slightly different so that we know this mattered to him, and we need to have him be able to return to the character he was next episode. Yeah. And so I think that they were really struggling with balancing all of those and making sure it didn't play too close to Casablanca. Right. I'm and like I think it's like gross to just ignore someone's boundaries repeatedly and to like essentially coerce them into staying with you or even attempt to. Cuz like in the end that like what do you get out of that other than someone who doesn't want to be there next to you? Yeah, that's like how that's like so uncomfortable. Like I don't know. It just feels very, um, it's just, it's just gross. I don't know. We can, we can probably blame Rick Berman if we want. I I have the sense that we might be able to. I'm not saying that it's just a good way to get out of that kind of thing with the Sarah Peck. So no, you're right. We can blame him. Totally. Um, Oh, one thing I did like during that, uh, scene yes. where Quark is discussing his plans with the students and like offering them is he's about to do something illegal and he's <laughs> like oh man I can't get caught he doesn't say this but he just starts banging on everything around him but then like a weirdo he dips his <laughs> finger into the water of the plant on the table and licks it and I'm like did you think that Odo, if that if that was Odo, first of all, <laughs> did you think that he was going to form before you licked your finger? <laughs> <laughs> or, like, what, you could have just like, tapped the water. Like, you weirdo. Uh, I love it. <laughs> but, I... I think we learned an important lesson unrelated to that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you should try to shoot a phaser at someone if you don't intend to use it. Or, like, point a phaser at someone if you're not going to use it. Um, Isn't that what the the saying goes um, for guns? Um, She accidentally shoots him, and I am just, like, ridiculous. Um, after the phaser incident, I have to admit that I did found, find it really cute when they finally started reminiscing about their romance. So I basically had to 
turn off my anger from the previous scene where he was, like, begging her to, like, stay and do his ultimatum nonsense. Like, I basically just turned my brain off for that. And it just seemed like they really did have something. Yeah. Um, they they have a lot of chemistry. Like Yes. It, give mm-hmm. Armin more romantic storylines. Oh my god! I have I have some comments on this um, for later in the episode <laughs> that I will um, add to that I don't I don't want to spoil my my um, thirst <laughs> section part. Yeah, I but wish. Yes. I could... oh. No, I was just agreeing. I think he should get more romantic um, storylines. I wish I could find the quote. I looked for it, but I didn't really, like, find her out of time. But Nana Visitor, when asked, like, oh, which character did you find the most attractive? She was like, I, Quark, Armin's eyes. And I'm like, uh-huh. yeah, I get it, Nana Visitor. He has really <laughs> nice eyes. Yeah, especially with, like, the maroon eyeshadow. Ooh, yes. you know, he's, he can get it. Oh, I agree. <clears throat> I'll be honest. The only person that I... I'm not attracted to on this show is Odo. Pretty much everyone else can get it. Get what? Sex from me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um. Uh, we can. You can tell her she. Uh, we're recording this during Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually perfect because it's Galentine's Day, and you guys are my Galentines. I don't really know what Galentine's Aww. Day is. I didn't watch Parks and Recreation. Um. I also was reading an article today about how, like, that shit's for straight girls anyway, um, because the rest of us don't focus all of our energy on men. Um, but yeah, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Aw, you too. Um, if we wanted to bring this back to DS9, though I could live in this moment forever. What? Um, <laughs> uh, is, uh, one, these two are together a month, which is just such a strange amounts of time to pick um in my opinion oh like, like previously yeah like they i were missed together that a month <laughs> that's I, hot and heavy uh, okay my parents got engaged after dating almost a month for reference that's impressive yeah. i think yeah, yeah impressive um but yeah i feel for most people that is very 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 quick <laughs> yeah Matt, I want you to say your. Oh yeah, I think ultimately, um, Quark and Atima are a doomed romance because it's small business owner BF, revolutionary Marxist GF. It's it's never going to work. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that is, I feel, I feel like I agree. Like if she stays, she's gonna be bored. If he leaves, he's gonna miss his profit, and that's just gonna be the end of that. True Starcraft. And I, <laughs> Sorry, I was just gonna say it's truly star-crossed, but <laughs> red star-crossed. Oh, speaking of red star-crossed, oh. um, I went out to for drinks last night and dinner with my friend, and we got this like girliest drink ever, and it was called Star-crossed Lovers, and it had we both got it. It had peach whiskey, slow gin, champagne, and cranberry juice. It was Ooh. so girly and delicious. That's all. Nice. I want one now. This has been Elisa's Cocktail Minute. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, to pick up on something you said earlier about 
this era of Star Trek storytelling and, you know, having to basically reset Quark and put him back in the same spot of the toy box um, so he can be taken out the next time and hasn't ostensibly changed that much. I'm just thinking back to um, Rules of Acquisition earlier this season, which was a rather kind of Quark romance episode, the the one with Pell. Mm. Um, and... In some ways, like, a lot of this is almost, like, it's different circumstances, but it's kind of retreading some of the same territory with with Quark's characterization, where it's like, yes, ultimately, he has his shortcomings and, you know, his his profit motive and, and things like this, but it's like, there is a little bit more of, like, a restlessness anti, not anti-Ferengi, because he's a proud Ferengi, but... Uh, non-traditional streak in quark and even to the point where again he's ostensibly doing it for profit but he's also sticking his neck out when he was like selling food to to bajorans during the occupation and things like that and that was what kind of brought him and atima into like similar circles and etc etc so it's just like quark does get reset but again it's 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 very quark and it's like i wonder that as the series to build and you know starts doing more of these kind of serialized arcs not even just necessarily like episode to episode but just like character arcs and different things um how will see quark change grow and evolve will he grow into that more unconventional felt unconventional ferengi or will the traditional streak set in or i don't know it's all a performance right so I, I love a good quark analysis. That was really I yes, good. <laughs> I um I do agree. I feel like Quark almost in a very similar manner to Garrick dislikes the parts of himself that are not what he considers to be traditionally of his alien race. Hmm. Yeah, I can I can see that. Like, he, he is mostly generous in a way that, like, I think, or rather his his instinct is to be generous. And I think that's why when there are, like, movements in the Ferengi culture, he digs in so hard against them because it feels like he is betraying what he believes to be his culture. That was just my read on it, though. No, I love this. Mm, yeah, no, that's great. After Quark and Natima reconcile, I guess we could say, um, Odo comes in and they're arresting her. And basically, Bejor has decided to turn Natima and Pals over to the Cardassians in exchange for six Bajoran prisoners. And Toron is a Cardassian who basically is like asking Garrick, okay, you're going to kill them before they get back to Cardassia. Um, and he implies to get, you know, like later we find out he's doing this so that Garrick or Garrick's agreeing to this so that he can kind of reclaim some of his dignity within the Cardassian government because he's been exiled. Although we don't know why. Mm. Something that it's really hard for me to figure out in Cardassian culture is when they're flirting or not. 
<laughs> it's like canon that like you're supposed to argue to start flirting. So like when are what which is it? Are we just are we are we just fighting with each other or is there's like tension right now? And I guess that's true of humans too. But um I also admire that Toron is like perpetually stuck in the my mom said it's my turn to use the Xbox posture. Like he's <laughs> like shoulders, up, arms, not quite at his side. Like <laughs> So then we get a scene with everyone's favorite, everyone's third favorite male male DS9 ship, Quoto. Wait, what's the second one? Garashir? That's uh, Garashir's my number one. first. And then I wanted to give a cushion room because I wanted everyone to sort of project theirs. So- oh, okay. Well, the- Quoto's my second one. <laughs> okay, they are that good. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, who's better than Quoto besides Garashir? <laughs> I love when Quoto, I love when Quark is like, I haven't told you this, Odo, but I consider you as dear to me as your, as my brother. <laughs> and I'm just like, and then Odo's like, yeah, because you treat Rom so wonderfully. But he legit got down on his knees and begged Odo to let Natima go, and Odo agrees to this. This is when we find out that Odo doesn't think whatever they did was worth death. But I think that, and we talked about this, I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, Matt, but we talked about how the show is softening Odo up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and like... Okay, here's my question for the both of you in relation to this. Odo makes it very clear that, like, he's not doing this for Quark. He's doing it in the name of justice. Because he doesn't think that it's fair that Quark, which Quark then gets very elated because it means he doesn't (laughs) owe anything. And there's kind of this this, this funny scene there. Um, And I'm sure that was a large reason of why Odo was doing it. But do you think Odo was a little (laughs) bit moved by Quark's impassioned speeches? Yes. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Also. Because yeah. otherwise, Oda wouldn't have done it on his own, I don't no, think. No, I don't he think convinced. he would have either, like, without someone putting the idea in his head. It's really funny um, when you were saying how Quark was excited that he didn't owe um, anything to Odo. I know it's not the same thing, but it almost reminded me of like Gimli and Legolas's like competition of like who killed the most um, orcs because it's just like they're keeping score, you know? It was just from the keeping score thing. So like, I don't know. Quark getting so happy doesn't owe him one. It felt very like that still only counts as one to me. Like, I don't know. Same vibes for me. Very cute comparison. I can see it. <laughs> Thank you. Wait, does that make Odo Legolas? Um, yes. Good. Okay. Yeah, I'm ready for that <laughs> fan art. Um, I Armin just does such a good job in this episode. Like he plays everything so straight, and like I don't know. Like even the comedic bits have like a lot of sincerity in them, and I just really love his performance in this episode. Me too. Um, and I, I think I discussed earlier, like, the need to reset Quark. Um, and I think it's interesting how it varies so much from the role of Rick in Casablanca. Whereas, like, Rick is quoted as saying, I stick my neck out for no one. And 
Clark says to Garrick, like, I figure we have to stick together when he goes to visit him in his shop. And it's, I don't know. I, it's one of the plots where Clark is very generous. And I wonder how much of that had to do with like, okay, we do need to differentiate this from Casablanca. And how much of that is like, this is an exploration of Clark and how he will develop. Yeah. Or this dude really loves this lady. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Did you see her? My God. Yeah. What? Oh my God. I loved her hair also. Mm-hmm. Um. Hmm. I do think it's funny. Like, I wonder to get towards like the end of the episode. Like, Garrick kind of sneaks up on them as they're going. They're going to um get away. And he agrees that he doesn't think killing them is good, but he's going to do it anyway. And I'm not. I'm curious whether he would have gone through with it or not if Turan hadn't showed up and taken his freezer. You know what I mean? Like, we never get to see whether he did it or not. But for, I have two, I'm have of two minds. One, Garrick talks for a really long time before Turan comes. So, like, there's time to stop him. So, but also villains do that all the time. I'm not calling Garrick a villain here. But, like, in scenes where someone's going to get killed, villains are like, here's my whole... Life story of what brought me to this oh, point. The yeah. So, no. like, half of me is like, no. oh, he's monologuing because that's like what someone in that position is doing. And half of me is like, was he stalling? You know what I mean? I'm very much of the opinion that he was stalling. Um, if only because he hated Ron so much. <laughs> and, right. And he goes on to say, like, I love Cardassia, and that's why I had to let her go. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I think it's sort of one of those situations where, like, maybe he would would want to believe he would have done it because it would have made him more loyal to his government. But no, I don't. I think yeah. that, yeah. Well, and we found out, too, that, like, it was Garrick who pitched the idea of, like, a prisoner exchange to the central command, knowing that the provisional government would agree to it, mm-hmm. right? So it's like Garrick was comfortable with currying favor at the expense of Natima and the other dissidents, but he also didn't want them murdered on the station or to murder them himself. Like it's, yeah, it's like, and then once you get in the Xbox measuring contest with Turan, it's just like, yeah, I, I, I think Garrick was stalling in order to keep his options open the longest. Um, but then it all goes back and ties into that conversation of where are your loyalties, right? And ultimately, I think what this episode has demonstrated to me about Garrick is that he has taken a lesson from Bashir of Earth. And I think he's loyal to himself first and foremost. And I think he's loyal to this idea of Cardassia, this Car- the sense of Cardassia being better, not necessarily, or being different anyways. And he wants to be a part of that different Cardassia. Yeah. I don't know. Am I, re- am I stretching too much? I mean, I agree with all of it. So. I got a good chuckle out of when Quark um, and Natima were yeah. saying goodbye and he was like, oh, because she, well, she said that she was going to go. And he was like, so all I have to do to get you back is wait until Cardassia becomes a free and democratic society. <laughs> like, how long do we think that Quark's going to wait for that? 
Let me go check memory beta. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, you know, we could pretend we don't know anything, but it just mm. seems like from where we're standing now, like, Cardassia is nowhere near getting to a free and democratic society. Yeah. I believe I mentioned this on the Cardassians episode, but there's a, speaking of memory beta, there's an Una McCormick um, Star Trek novel called The Neverending Sacrifice, which is the same title of a, a Cardassian enigma tale or like an epic that gets referenced later. And it follows what happens to Rugal after he leaves the station and, and goes back to Cardassia. And obviously like it's written after the show is done so there are kind of spoilers for things that are going to happen on and around the show later on but if anyone is interested in more cardassian politics i would highly recommend this novel and like natima and the underground and the dissident movement do do feature into it and there's some stuff that's obviously coming on the show that that features into it so if you want kind of a perspective of what this process of change for Cardassia looks like highly recommend or highly recommend the novel cool. I didn't know about that one I mostly only know about like a stitch in time because it's from yeah. Robinson yeah. himself yeah the way that Natima said like you have to stay here that way a part of me will always be safe too oh. ah like oh my gosh She's like, you have my heart. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Very good Valentine's Day episode recording choice. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Although, apologies, um, listeners, you will not get this on Valentine's Day. <laughs> but it is almost Valentine's Day for us. In the future. In the <laughs> Speaking of Valentine's Day. All right, so I don't know about you folks, but uh, it's Valentine's Day, tomorrow's Valentine's Day, I went on a hike, a winter hike yesterday, I'm a little tired, I'm a little thirsty, I'm a little dehydrated, um, yeah, I'm just ultimately thirsty, so uh, it's time for the Altair Water Thirst Quencher, who are you thirsting after this week, folks? In my head, Canon. When reminiscing about their romantic past, Natima and Quark are just clearly dry humping. Like, <laughs> that is what's happening. You can't see it, but you can see it. <laughs> I mean, it is canon that the Necrages are the erogenous zone, or are an erogenous zone for the Cardassians, and the Lobes are, like, yeah. You know, like, it. that mm-hmm. is very much when you, like, stroke someone's cheek and then make your way down their neck you know like Uh, i i was reading up on this um on memory alpha it actually mentioned that armin shimmerman and mary crosby's makeup kept having to be retouched every time they kissed because the orange makeup and the gray makeup kept mixing together (laughs) and i just love that for all of them it's well i don't i mean it doesn't sound fun to have to like get your makeup retouched but like it makes me happy that they like gave Armin these like makeout scenes. Yeah, I it very yes, good. Mm. <laughs> um Anya, what about you? Okay, so Natima Lang, just 
entirely. Like, the second I saw her, like, the first time I watched this episode, I think I paused it, and I was like, who, no one told me that Canadian <laughs> ladies look like that. No one warned me. Like, yeah. Um, but, like, even just, like, the dress design that she has is amazing with, like, the cutouts and, like, the way her... So much clavicle. Ugh. Cardassian clavicles. Is that, yeah. like, the equivalent of, like, it. human cleavage? <laughs> Yes. Natima said this is a clavicle out situation. <laughs> Ridges <I'm> out. So- <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. also the scene where Odo just grabs Quark by the collar and almost pulls him over the bar. And I'm like, wow, okay, you guys, you can take that to like the bedroom come on wow Just in public don't take it to the don't take it to the bedroom i want to see okay you're fair you're fair <laughs> hollow sweet with popcorn so those are my moments for sure what about you matt you know what i think i've mentioned it before i really enjoyed the uh the flirtatious philosophy debate over lunch between bashir and garrick um that's that's my speech. And that goes back to what Anya was saying about Taryn and Garrick. Like, they're arguing. They're flirting. Like, to bring that to the Bashir-Garrick lunch conversation, I mean. Like, they're debating. It's 100% good flirting. Mm-hmm. And now we'll move on to the most Star Trek thing of the episode. My candidate being we have a main cast member uh, or main series regular that has a romance episode that ends with them apart because we can't add new characters from romances in this era of Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) Anya, what's yours? I want to know what's in a Sumerian sunset. Like, okay, it was Elisa's cocktail hour for a hour (laughs) earlier. Um... And so, like, Deanna Troy drinks them. Um, it was a favorite Natima. Like, I'm looking at it, and it's it's orange with, like, green and red and or- and yellow in it. Like, what is going on? It looks really it? tasty. There's probably, I think I know at least two of the ingredients. What are they? Space Apriol. Mm. That's probably where the orange color comes okay. from. And one of the other ingredients especially in this episode, is love. Yes. I love love, but I don't love Aperol, so maybe it wouldn't be for me. (laughs) (laughs) My most Star Trek thing of the the episode... My most Star Trek thing of the episode is that there are Cardassians on the station, so we have to have Garrick back. Like, he was there in the Rugal episode. Like, you can't have Cardassians... Unless it's Gold Ducat, you cannot have any other... Cardassian on this show without bringing Garrick back. I'm not saying that's true for going forward, but thus far. I love that too. Um, Before we wrap up, there was this one random thing I found to be interesting about the making of this episode. Basically, because the Cardassian actors and the Ferengi app actors needed needed to start their makeup chair so early in the day because they have so many prosthetics and makeups and everything um they were already getting made up at like 4 30 in the morning one day and there was an earthquake 
and no one could get in touch with like their family members and the power was going out. So all of these actors in full like alien makeup just like dispersed from the set to like drive home and get in their cars and like go find their families. And it just sounded like if you were in the street like watching that, you'd be like, what the hell's going on? Not only is there an earthquake, there's just random aliens in the street. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully no one got injured. It's but... real independence. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I just thought that was really funny. And um, that was on Memory Alpha, but it was from the official Star Trek Deep Space Nine magazine, issue nine. All right. Well, this has been great as yes. always. Anya, thank you so much. Yeah, I've for had a blast. Us. Thank you so much for having me again. Anytime. Is there anything uh, you'd like to plug? Uh, social media handles, anything uh, like that? Anya893 on Twitter. Um, Anya Eek with, I think, like five E's or four E's. You'll find me on um, Instagram, though that's like barely active. But someday when I sew again and I am a uh, simple tailor, I'll, I'll post more often. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. You can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. You can find me on Twitter and Letterbox as well at Madhugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can actually, you can all, bleep, 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 bleep. you can also catch me talking about Mad Men on my Mad Men podcast, Still Great Bob. You can catch Elise and I together on Twitter and Instagram at PodWraiths. You can also email us at PodWraiths at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. And thanks again to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye.